Welcome to Cars on Call. I am automotive journalist and gastroenterologist Steve Schutz. I'm here with trauma surgeon Stefan Moran. We do not have Adams Hudson. He is away. Uh, we have some really good stuff to cover and we have a great guest. But before we get to that, let me put a little shameless plug in. Uh, we had two recent guests, Katie Gaddy, which is Money with Katie. Uh, and she talked about uh, kind of the millennial perspective on money with respect to cars. And she bought a um, a, a used, slightly used Porsche Macan, and she talks about that. So that was a couple episodes ago. And then also a couple episodes ago was Joe Bezzetta, a son of a famous Porsche factory driver from the 60s, Joe Bezzetta. And uh, Joe, the son, um, runs uh, with his siblings, the uh, dealerships that his father started. But it's a great conversation about his collection, vintage racing, motorcycles, and life. So uh, we hope you listen to that too. We're going to talk about the Cadillac Escalade uh, BEV. We're going to talk about uh, car spotting, which is the uh, Nissan Xterra. Uh, trauma surgeon Stefan Moran is going to talk about safety. And then we have a very special guest, Stefan. Uh, Bob Rupel, who is a Land Cruiser expert, is going to talk about the new Land Cruiser and some old Land Cruiser stuff. So uh, how does that sound? That felt like a great show, man. And I'm just here looking drinking out of this. Look at this wonderful cup that I have here. This is a 1976 uh, bicentennial Colonel Sanders official cup. Wow. Back it yeah. up a little bit. It's like too close to the camera, I think. I just couldn't quite oh, see yeah. it. There we go. Yeah, that's better. And I got wow. my Dishavo t-shirt on. I love that shirt. I tell you what, I think you and I are talking before we went on an air, man. Blip shift is like, that is like crack shopping for gearheads like us. Oh my God. It's like once a week there is, yeah, you've got the charger on. Wow. Once a week. It's a 71 a, CUDA. It's a CUDA. Okay, I see now. Is, <laughs> a, is that the AARP CUDA? No, AAR no. Stefan. But uh, this is a 1971 CUDA. Uh, you can't tell if it's a Hemi or not because it doesn't have that on the side. But <laughs> it, it, they do look like challengers, but they're not. Yeah, I love Blip Shift, man. About once a week, you know, Santa Claus in the EPS truck comes down the driveway and gives me another Blip Shift shirt. If it's Ford, or a Cobra, I'm just guaranteed I'm buying it. This was a French one, so I got this one. Dechevo, man. I love it. So, cool. Um, well, see, speaking of this, my mom saw this T-shirt. She's like, I want one. I said, oh, man, Mom, I'm so sorry. I said, it's blip shift. It's like they come and they go. So It's like T-shirt Snapchat. Yeah, exactly. And now, by all- the way, my parents, number one fans, they love the episode with Katie. They thought there's some great financial advice, and they really enjoyed listening to her. So. That's I gotta plug her. I did yeah. it with a I had dinner with a friend a couple nights ago, and he was talking about he said I now listen to her podcast in addition to yours. So that was good. Hey, uh Stefan, this is um I'm just gonna relay the news in an objective manner. The Cadillac Escalade IQ was just introduced, not for sale yet, but it was introduced. Uh no price uh, available, but estimates are it's going to be about one hundred twenty thousand uh, uh, dollars. Do we like it? Well, you know, um, I just you know, I, I on the lake I see people cruising around in one hundred fifty thousand, two hundred thousand dollar boat boats. Now, I mean, think about the base price on this new IQ. I read is going to be about one hundred thirty thousand dollars. I mean, that's just insane cash you know but a um a ford pickup truck an xlt an xlt is 60 grand but uh yeah the new iq escalate it's interesting um i got a picture up here for screen listeners um it shows a picture of the new iq of the new iq and a couple of interesting things i really i mean don't you think it kind of looks like the escalate in a lyric had a love child steve-o i mean look at this thing it's kind of like it's a mixture yes. of the two. Yeah, I think you're right. It has all the the design cues of the, uh, not just the Lyric, but also the um, uh, the super expensive one. It'll come, it'll come to my mind, but Celestic. So the Lyric and the Celestic, it has all of the, it's like, the, yes, the, a love child between the current Escalade and the Lyric is a great way to put it. But take a look at those things. It's got 24 in, 24 inch rims. Can you believe that? 
It's got to be the biggest on a car, right? I mean, I don't I, think you can buy I, anything else with. I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't even imagine a 24 inch rim, but it's going to have 24 inch dubs on it. Incredible. But, here, but you know, GM controversially, you know, they've removed Apple CarPlay and Android. I don't know. You know, 100, I know Tesla did it, but I'm telling you, if I'm paying 120000 $130,000, I want my Apple CarPlay to work. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I think that that's a mistake by GM. And here's the problem, Stefan. What is the Escalade used for? You said you see it around the lake. You know why? It's because people tow their boats with it. We know, based on the experience with the F-150 Lightning, that if you have a BEV truck and you tow with it, your range goes to nothing. It's terrible. Um, that's what's going to happen with this. We also know that people use the Escalade, the current Escalade, for road trips. You have a family road trip and you got the kids in the back. You do not want to go 200 miles and then have to juice up for an hour and then go another 200 hours have to juice up for another two hours when you can have an you know an internal combustion engine Escalade, Stefan, and you can go uh 450 miles, even with a full truck. They're saying this thing is going to have a range of 450 miles. I don't believe it. That may no. be with one person. You load yep. this thing up with kids, dogs, luggage. Can you imagine, daddy, daddy, when are we going to be there? When are we going to be there? I'm sorry. We've got to stop again for 30 minutes to charge the battery. And turn off your turn and off turn, your tablets. Turn off your tablets. To and everything. save electricity. And we're going to turn the air conditioning down. Um, yeah. But, oh, by the way, that's ideal conditions. You know, one passenger, like you said, but also weather. If the weather is, you know, 72 degrees, 78 degrees, you're going to go 450 miles. If it's 28 degrees, you're not. And if it's 102, you're not. No, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting fit. I mean, for the money, I just, uh, you know, it's 20,000 more than the premium luxury platinum Escalade. But it's twenty less than the supercharged Escalade V. I would just I'd save the twenty grand. I'd buy something. I'd buy a convertible, an old convertible, and I'd get the regular uh, Escalade. That way, when I get decided to go on a long family trip, I'm not I am not as Jack Roush said, foraging for electricity with kids and a dog and a thing loaded to the gill. Let me put some numbers out that I think are important Uh, for the first six months of 2023. Cadillac sold 20,783 Escalade and Escalade, uh, the, you know, the, the SV or whatever they call it, the long wheelbase one, the suburban analog. That is a lot of Escalades. The average transaction price was around $100,000. You multiply uh, the likely profit, which is, let's say it's $15,000 per vehicle. I think it's probably more. You multiply that 20,783. I did the math. The profit. From Escalades in the first six months of 2023, Ford GM was $300 million. That is not going to be the profit on an electric vehicle because so far the production costs are too high. Uh, oh, by the way, I don't think they're going to sell very well. Here's why, Stefan. In the first six months of 2023, the Escalade IQ is based on the Hummer platform. Guess how many GMC BEV Hummers they sold in the first six months of 2023, I guarantee you, you're going to be wrong. I just know I've seen them on Bring a Trailer going for some ridiculous price. Um, that was last year. That was last year. Now that I guess they're on the free market, uh, how about 5000 They sold 49 <laughs> Hummer BEVs in the first six months of 2023. Let that sink in. And this is the platform they're going to base oh this 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 Escalade on. Uh, I, had a, I saw a couple of comments on Jalopnik by readers. Uh, they, they said it was pathetic with an IQ at the end and idiotic with IQ at the end, which is pretty funny. That is pretty funny. Hey, but you know, you can put two uh, sets of golf clubs in the um, well, in the front. So the General Motors doesn't call it the frunk like everybody else. They are calling it, uh, what are they calling it? Um, Shit, I can't remember what they call it. They've got a name. Oh, the e-trunk. The e-trunk. It's not a frunk. But they can get two sets of golf clubs up there. Oh, well. So that's think, what it'll be used for, going back and forth to the golf course. Which Cadillac that's not electric is a Cadillac you would consider buying 
beside the Escalade. I think it's it's Cadillac is the Escalade and nothing else and some BVs that are coming. Escalade could be its own brand. It needs to be. You know, I was looking at some black wings on Bring a Trailer. I mean, they're God, they're so cool. Their performance and numbers are great, but I don't know. Just it's like, I, I know Gino Effler, our former guest, loves have two Cadillacs. Um, I just, I don't have any buddies driving Cadillacs. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know they'll get the Tahoe and they'll get the Denali's, but nobody I hang with drives a a Cadillac. No, it's not aspirational, except for the Escalade. And you, except you, know, you Escalade, go to yeah. you go to you know a nice subdivision in an expensive area code or zip code, and you're going to see a lot of Escalades. It's pretty much the only American car you're going to see besides it's Escalades and Suburbans, Tahoes, and pickups. Yep. All right. All right. What's next, Steve? Safety is next, Stefan. And um uh, safety, I'm up. Us... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's only the two of us. We miss Adams. Adams, wherever you are. Uh <laughs> I guess we're gonna see you next week, but we miss you. All right. So uh I'm falling back again on the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety again. Um, you know, they just do these great reports. So they do uh, every three years, they do a death rate study. And this year's research was the first to include specific models based on model years 2018 through 2021. So it's still two-year-old, but it takes a while to simulate the data. And uh, other data includes the cars with the most occupant deaths and vehicles less likely to kill occupants or others on the roads. But we want to look at this time, I'm looking specifically at their data, the vehicles with the largest number of other driver deaths or those that killed others more often in a crash. So this is about two cars striking each other and somebody's killed in the opposing vehicle. So I know you're going to get the first one right, Steve. So what do you think is the number one vehicle that caused that caused death and other fatalities in other vehicles? Ford F-Series pickup. We're going, actually doing specific models. So the Ram 3500 crew cab, long bed, four-wheel drive. 189 deaths. Big truck. Monster truck. Uh, what do you think that thing weighs? 10,000 pounds? Uh, I don't think it's that much, but I would say 8,000 probably. Okay, number two. This is going to surprise you. <laughs> Go and this has to do with driver behavior. Who do, you, who do you see hooning on YouTube crashing in the crowds all the time? What kind of car? Uh, Ford Mustang. Uh, yeah, no, that's cars and coffee. That's that's coming out of car. Dodge Charger Hemi, two wheel drive. Really, one hundred sixty. Yeah, one hundred sixty four deaths. Yeah, you see them spinning. You know, doing drifting and, and yes, doing these donuts. Take and so, the takeovers or whatever that thing is. Right. Down. Yeah, the street takeovers in L.A. Yeah, it's. Um, I was actually going to guess. You know, Stefan, we've done uh, actually with our guest Bob Rupel. Uh, we've talked about, um, or thanks to our guest, Bob Rupel, we've talked about big Altima energy. And yes. a lot of meth cars are <laughs> Nissan Altimas. They're all clapped out and just looking terrible. I thought Nissan Altima might be one of them, but I'm not surprised. Well, number three, which is kind of surprising to me, you know, is the Ford F-350 crew cab four-wheel drive. I would have figured because of pure volume, it would be higher. Right. So this is saying something about driver behavior of Rams, because number four is the Ram 2500 mega cab four-wheel drive. And it's only, it's at 145 fatalities versus 147 for the F350. Now we get down to the Kia Optima. By the way, for for those big pickups, uh, I would bet you that the driver and passenger of those big super duty, heavy duty, you know, three quarter, one ton trucks, uh, the occupants are probably uninjured. Yeah. Probably, yeah. We don't have any, I don't have that data yet, or IH, IIHS has not published that. So right after the Kia Optima is the Kia Rio. Um, and then you get to the Ram 2500 crew cab, the F-250 crew cab, the Dodge Charger again. And then it finishes the top 10 of the Ram 1500. So if you take this top 10 list, 560 deaths were Rams. Okay, that's one, two, three, four Dodge Ram pickup trucks out of 10. So it's 40% of the vehicles on this list are Dodge Rams. Kia comes in at 267, but they're right behind the Dodge Chargers at 
69 total deaths. So you think about it, that's that's crazy that um, that the number of deaths were pretty much equal between the Dodge Chargers and the Ford pickup trucks. Isn't that crazy? So yeah. yeah and the if you, numbers, if you, the numbers of, of F series pickups is way, way, way bigger than Charger. Way charger, way bigger than charger, way bigger than the Ram pickup truck. So this tells you a lot about the driver behavior um of the people that buy the Dodge Rams. And I don't I don't know the marketing and really who is it younger people buying the Rams, older people buying the Fords. I really don't know, but I think that's something you know very worthwhile looking into. Kia, it's just a matter of a cheap car. The, and the this Ram young... pickup, heavy duty pickups are mostly uh farmers ranchers rural people uh they've got their towing trailers with hay and um horses and livestock uh so they're this is rural i bet you it's you know out in the middle of nowhere in wyoming or illinois or iowa and you know someone uh, you know a a chevy camaro the guy falls asleep and, and the dodge ram runs right into him or something like that um that's what I would think. It's, that's what most of these trucks are used for. Yes, yeah, what they're used for. But to me, it's, what's really interesting is is why are there so many more Rams if, and compared to the sales of the Ford? It should Ford should have way more than Dodge because of the sales number. But it's not the case. So this clearly, clearly this shows something about driver behavior. Um, would, let it, me let me just add that here in the West, the Mountain West, which is where I live, you see more uh, Ram heavy duty trucks that you okay. do F, F uh, you know, the super duties. And um, for the record, uh, neither Ram nor uh, Ford will break down their pickup truck sales by uh, three quarter ton versus half ton. In other words, F-150 versus F-250 and 350. They don't break it down. So I don't really know what the actual numbers are, the super duties. Yeah. So I'm going to see if I can't, um, you know, as I, IHS starts to release this data, they typically, you can, you can find the scientific paper that they publish and there, there'll be some more insight into that paper. But I thought this was some really interesting literature to look at. Um, so yeah, you see a Dodge Ram coming down the truck, down the road, you better go the other way. And if you see somebody hooning in a charger, get the hell behind something. <laughs> so. There are videos uh, that show these, know, yeah. these these chargers spinning out and just hitting people. You know, the, the back end comes out and they lose control and it goes into the crowd. And you see people just flying through the air because they're hit by the rear end of a, a charger that's spinning around doing donuts. Uh, you know, I was going through downtown Birmingham the other day. And they actually put up those... Uh, those like composite speed bumps that they screwed into the middle of the intersection. So it really made it a pain in the ass when you're going across it, you had to like weave your way through these things, but they had to put them up because people were doing the, whatever that is takeover thing called, you know, hooning in the middle of downtown, which is just scary and dangerous. So let me throw something out. Um, Cause you were talking about the heavy duty pickup trucks and uh, I read something. I forgot where, but I thought it was interesting. And uh, I guess it was Motor Trend. But basically, the the thought was that 10 years from now, we're going to be basically all electric uh, for new vehicles. And once we get to that point, um, you're not going to be able to have, uh, you're not going to be able to mandate that farmers, ranchers, uh, people who work, um, you're not going to be able to mandate that they have electric vehicles. Again, you, you, you're taking 20 head of livestock across Montana or across Iowa. You know, a 500-mile trip, you're going to the stockyard to sell your, your cattle. You're not going to be able to – electric doesn't make any sense. So they are probably going to be exempted. So the point of this article was we're probably going to see – uh, a, a schism where you have regular people driving around in their electric mini crossovers or, or you know, mid-sized crossovers and ranchers and farmers with their heavy duty trucks and rich guys, instead of driving Mercedes and Lexuses, they're going to be driving 
uh, heavy duty Denali's or heavy duty, you know, uh, the, the platinum large pickups, because that's the only thing they can get that's internal combustion engine. Makes sense, right? Yeah, it does. You know, but it, it makes sense. But you're better off being, if you're better off being an EV and being hit by one of these things than a non-EV, because you know, momentum, momentum equals mass times velocity. Kinetic energy is one half mv squared, the square root of the velocity. So the average EV weighs about 2,500 to 3,000 pounds more than a regular vehicle. So that will, I, it'll be interesting to see how those statistics change. But um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see on our roads um, as we increase the amount of BEVs on the roads, what it does to these fatalities, because we know we're markedly increasing the weight of vehicles because of the BEVs. Yeah, and Adams has talked about what that means to the roads, the uh, the wear and tear on the roads. There is going to be a lot of unintended consequences that we are going to discover as this uh, this change takes place. By the way, it's taking place lower than we thought. Uh, it was about 6% uh, new uh, vehicles last year were BEVs. This year, it bounced to seven <laughs> percent. So it's slower. It's going to be slower than people um, expect. So, on to car spotting. Um, I am psyched uh, to talk. Adams is not here. He usually does the car spotting, but I saw something that I want to talk about, and that's it. A 2004 Nissan Xterra, and the Xterra was made uh, to be a uh, rugged, affordable vehicle, uh, kind of a la uh, Toyota 4Runner. They made it from 1999 to 2015. There were two generations. They no longer make it. Um, I would say two things, Stefan, and I want to get your reaction to both. First of all, is this the greatest tagline ever? Their advertisement always ended with Nissan Xterra, everything you need nothing you don't i love that and then um i think nissan should make another one they should have never stopped i think the xterra is great i mean i liked it when it came out it was definitely it was kind of like it's kind of like the jeep version of an suv um and it was it's just, it was rugged it was utilitarian it was designed to be an off-road vehicle it was based on the frontier which was their small pickup. So it's a body on frame construction. They added all wheel drive. The name Xterra is really cool. That came from um, a road triathlon that Nissan sponsored from 1998 to 2006. I always, I always thought the Xterra, it just kind of has a badass look to it. And I, you know, I think the other thing, looking at the picture here, listeners, um, they really did a good job and with, they put this um, roof rack on the top with a big piece of plastic on the front. So what that really does is kind of hide how tall the vehicle really is. And um, Ford did this with the Taurus X as well. We had one of those. So I think from a design standpoint, it looks cool. It was utilitarian. It did what it's supposed to do. And I, I think you're right, Steve-O. In this day of people bringing back the International Harvester, bringing back the Bronco, um, you know, Chevy with the blazer, you know, give me a break calling that the blazer. Um, but I think the Xterra, yes, they need to bring it back and they need to make sure that they pay homage to the old style. Unlike as we're going to talk about it once again, the new, um, the new Land Rover, which I'm not a big fan of, but I do like the Xterra. And I think they, I think, I think it's, you know, this SUV market, lifestyle market is still big and strong. And um, Stellantis needs to pop a pill and make one of these things again. Uh, it's not Stellantis, Stefan. I thought Stellantis. Oh, yeah, so what am I thinking? Nis Nissan was with uh, Renault, right? Yeah, right there's the an alliance. and uh, There's a, the, the alliance. That's right. It's not Stellantis. That's it. Nissan, Renault, and, um, and Mitsubishi. But, um, I you know... I have hammered Nissan for not bringing this back. Uh, the incredible perennial popularity of the Forerunner says they should bring it back. Yes. The, the huge popularity of the new Land Rover Defender, which is very boxy. Uh, the continued uh, uh, um, popularity of the Jeep Wrangler and the new popularity of the Ford Bronco. Uh, Nissan should have never stopped making. They should bring it back. And Chevy 
should have start should have brought back uh, a boxy off-road blazer that's internal combustion. They would have made money and they could use that money to develop more uh, BEVs, which is, I guess, what they need to do all the time. But this, you know, the X-Terra is a good car. One thing I would wonder about, Stefan, um, putting on your safety hat, uh, this is a vehicle driven by uh, younger people and it's got a high center of gravity. Seems like a rollover risk. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I would have to look up. Um, I would have to look up the, you're right. I think anything just like we talked about with the um forerunner anytime you have body on frame construction it is not going to do as well and um i would be uh, they'd have to do a lot of work and they really would need to go back to go to unitized body on this thing they want to bring it back and not do a body on frame um okay but, well go ahead and uh put our pictures up because i want to introduce our guest uh we have a very special guest his name is Bob Rupel, and uh, Bob, uh, we want to talk about Land Cruisers with you, but I do want to ask you a question before we get to Land Cruisers. So Bob is a good friend of uh, both Stefan and mine. Uh, I've known Bob for uh, probably 30 years. Um, I think we were both, what, 10 years old, right, Bob? Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, right. So um, we've known Bob a long time, but he is my go-to when it comes to Land Cruisers, his knowledge of of Land Cruiser history and specs and all that is amazing. I'm always absolutely blown away by your knowledge, Bob. Bob is a very high-level, uh, well-known tech executive, but in his uh, free time, he reads and studies about uh, guns and Land Cruisers. Bob, before we get to Land Cruisers, um, we just I spotted a, a Nissan Xterra 2004, and we were talking about how Nissan needs to bring it back. It was a really great vehicle. Uh, kind of a, a, a poor man's uh, forerunner. But if I'm not mistaken, your daughter, who's a lawyer, has an Xterra, I think, or at least she had one. Yeah, she did. Um, so I bought Riley uh, um, a 2006 um, on the pre-owned market, a gray, uh, it was the S model. Um, and, and I'll tell you, um, I, I think you two are absolutely right that Nissan should bring it back. There's enough room in the market for it. But I tell you, from a quality perspective, um, as I look at different brands, the Xterra did not hold a candle to the Forerunner. Um, uh, it had um, leaf springs in the back, uh, so they hadn't moved to coils. Uh, the The ride was pretty harsh. Um, the The wheelbase was pretty short. I was prone to rust. Um, it was very bare bones, which was both positive and negative, right? I mean, you could literally hose the thing out almost like a Jeep. Um, you know, with a hose, if you got it dirty inside, it was very plasticky. Um, you know, if uh, if Riley had been a uh, a teenage boy who liked to go to the mountains and hike a lot, she probably would have loved it. But she was like, "Dad, I need a different car. This one's killing me." Um, so I ended up uh, selling it to a, a young, uh, a, a older older teenager from Alabama to use as his hunting car. Um, so he literally was going to keep it at a at a hunting camp and use it to go deer hunting and stuff with. So um, had some very positive things around the Xterra, but I think Nissan could have done some things to up level it in some of their um, you know higher level trim packages um, over their off road package to make it an even better vehicle. Um, so good vehicle, inexpensive vehicle, didn't have the quality that a that a Toyota does. Guy. Um, you know, is, is it a feature of a, or a bug is something I ask myself all the time. And um, if you hose out your Xterra and you have holes in the floor from rust, the water runs out. Yeah. It's a, so does it's the a rust. feature. It's a feature, <laughs> not a bug. <laughs> so, so do, so do the little rust facts. They tend to go with the water, right? <laughs> all right. So let me introduce you. Um, I guess I just did. So uh, let me just say, a couple of words about the Land Cruiser, because I want to talk a few things. And Stefan, of course, has a bunch of questions, but the, I want to talk a few things Land, Land Cruiser with you. Uh, I'll say very quickly that um, the Land Cruiser was produced by uh, Toyota from 1951 until now, more than 10 million worldwide sold. Lots of generations that I know you're going to talk about. And now it's being reintroduced as a smaller Land Cruiser that all of us like. Uh, before uh Stefan asked a question. Let me just give you a quote. Um, it was an Australian automotive journalist that said, 
If you need to get anywhere in the world, take a Land Rover. If you want to come back out, take a Land Cruiser. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've heard that one slightly differently, and I was actually just in Sydney a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's if you want to go to the Outback, uh, take a Land Rover. If you want to come back from the Outback alive, take a Land Cruiser. <laughs> so I've heard some variations on that, which is yeah. very interesting. I think those, uh, you know, those comments, Bob and Steve-O, are exactly, you know, you want to, you you want the feeling of an English roadster, get a Miata. If you really want to do the outdoor, the cool thing, go on expeditions, you want the Land Cruiser. I mean, the Land Rover looks really cool, but, um, you know, it's kind of like the Miata and the Land Cruiser where they just one up the English on what a niche that they really kind of had cornered and here listeners i just pulled up a picture of the original land cruiser to me which i just think is i absolutely that's the one that i just absolutely love yeah so, this um, is a, and that's a that's a picture of the j40 series and, and most folks don't know this but there was actually um uh the 2030 series before this um based on some japanese military vehicles that were both pre-world war ii and during world war ii and the U.S. Army wanted to look at replacements for the Jeep, for the Willys Jeep after World War II. And they bought about 100 of these from the, uh, the not the 1951 J40 series, but the earlier series. They bought them to test them. The U.S. Army did. So uh, long heritage with the Land Cruiser. Hey, um, uh, I'll just say very quickly, um, Bob Rupel is also a veteran of the U.S. Army. So uh, thank you for your service, Bob. Uh, Bob, go ahead. And we're going to get to the new Land Cruiser. But I want, to, I want to ask you this question. Talk a little bit about the old Land Cruisers and which one is your favorite. Yeah, so so that's a really long answer to that question, Steve. So the iconic. You got 15 minutes, so singing. take your time. <laughs> yeah, you do. Oh, Stefan, you, I, I know we know each other relatively well, but you've <laughs> never heard me talk. I I literally could speak on a couple subjects, like Steve alluded to, land cruisers and and probably a couple different classes of firearms for three or four hours. So the podcast would get very long, right? So okay. well, you, well, you've got um, fifteen minutes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so give us the uh, clip notes version. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so you know. When most people think of Land Cruisers, this is the iconic look that you get, right? That um, I've heard people that are uninitiated in in four by fours or vehicles in general say, "Oh, look at that Jeep!" Right? And um, it, it was called a Jeep by the U.S. military for a while. That's why it's the uh, you know the J series designation. If you look at the chassis styles of all the different ones, they're J forty, J sixty, J whatever, and, and that stood for Jeep, right? And there's uh, there's there's BJ's and there's there's other designations if it has a diesel, but to me this is the, the most iconic one, right? Uh, I haven't built one myself yet, but I'm going to build one of these. Um, but I'm going to build a more modern version of it, and I'm going to build the uh, the Troopy version, which is the FJ45 Troopy, which is slightly elongated from this one. Uh, but I don't want leaf springs. I want coil springs. I want a modern suspension and a modern powertrain. So that that's the most iconic. That's it's Toyota tan with a white top, most iconic vehicle you can get. And with the inline four that they had, uh, or the uh, uh, the diesel and a four speed transmission, that that vehicle will go practically anywhere you want it to go. Um, very bare bones, very Jeep like, but of a quality that surpassed. Um, some of the American-made vehicles. It's my favorite. I, I, some type of a 40 series, like a, um, a BJ or FJ 45 Land Cruiser would be my absolute dream car. More so than, I mean, I dare to say it, a 911. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> it, it is beautiful. Well, does, um, you know, iconic, does iconic do land cruisers? Do they make do they resto the land cruiser? You mean icon? They do. They icon, do icon, yeah. Yeah, they well, yeah. So they do restos and they do resto mods. Um, right. and then you reach kind of what the pinnacle of what Steve was talking about, Stefan, which is icon, which is you know, one of the top level brands. And 
they don't even use um, Toyota frames. They don't even use base uh, frame up restos. They they build their own frames, uh, their own chassis. <clears throat> you know, um, kind of in the middle for someone that really wants to get into an older Land Cruiser, like a 40 series that looks like this one that you have on the screen. Um, you can literally take an 80 series, which we'll talk about later, which has coils all the way around it. It has, uh, you can get them triple locked. So they'll have electronic lockers from the factory plus a center diff locker. Um, quite possibly the most capable off-road vehicle ever produced. Um, and you can put an aftermarket tub on it and build something that looks like the FJ40 that you have on the screen, but it has a, it has a modern chassis and you can put a modern powertrain in it and modern electronics in the inside and, and have what's really a resto mod, which gives you um, a lot of modern functionality that you wouldn't see in one of the old ones, uh, which has leafs on all four corners. Gives you a much better ride, much more capability off-road, um, but you have the look of the 40, which is just, uh, you know, is to me the the most perfect look that you can get in a Land Cruiser. You know, Bob, you brought up a great point that, you know, we all love, you know, depending on your age, I love the 65 to 67 Mustangs and that era, but you drive an original, you're like, man, this thing drives like a piece of shit, you know, and it's got the lease <laughs> brain. They don't turn, they don't stop, that they'll go, but they don't turn or stop. So, you know, if I was to redo a Mustang, it'd be a 67 fastback, but I would want updated suspension, updated brakes. And, you know, I would pay homage to the old car, but it would drive like a new car. And I think, now, your point of the coil springs on this, because I'm sure you drive one of these original FJs. It's not a very comfortable ride. I mean, yeah, you want to cruise around 20, 30, 40 miles an hour. But if you really are going to go anywhere, um, you're like you said, you know, coil springs, leaf springs, but um, coil springs versus a leaf springs would definitely be a real upgrade. Yeah, Stefan. hundred uh, percent. Yeah, to your point, which is a really good one. Uh, speaking of uh, 911s, Bob. We interviewed uh, Joe Bezetta a couple weeks ago, and um, his father was a Porsche factory driver in the 60s, and he is now going into a new uh, field where he's going to start making uh, bespoke or uh, restored G-body 911s. And what he said was, uh, to exactly what Stefan's point was, sometimes you don't want to meet your heroes because they're, they're not that impressive. And he said <laughs> yeah. he drives some of these old cars. He goes, really, they really suck. You put modern uh, equipment into it, uh, better suspension, better engine, better transmission. It is a better vehicle. Absolutely, 100%, right? And I think Singer proved that with the 911 crowd, right? So, I mean, I would much rather have a Singer built for me that is a resto mod and it does not have all OEM equipment on it than drive a Widowmaker, um, you know, twin turbo that you can throw the back end out. So it's the same thing with the Land Cruiser, right? Can you take the modern components of the chassis and a drivetrain and build yourself something that pays homage to the, you know, original uh, original 40 series, whether it's a long wheelbase Troopy or, and, and that that's the tub that happens to fit the FJ80, FZJ80 designation which is the triple locked 80 chassis fits it the best i mean the tub literally goes onto the chassis and you can have a, a good reputable firm build you something that drives like a modern vehicle but has that uh you know stefan said the homage to the original i you so, know I, i'm on i'm sorry steve i'm on bring a trailer lot i haven't seen any of these land cruisers redone fj's come across spring what is what's what are you looking at for like a resto land cruiser what is the market like on these vehicles so a couple different categories so you know great question by the way stefan so um if you're a collector and you want something that's original that's been frame restored and not a resto mod um you know you're talking um you know give or take around a hundred thousand us <clears throat> if it's done well if it's done well right wow. now a resto a resto mod is going to cost you anywhere between probably on the very low end if you go cheap uh 55k you know maybe 50 to 55k and on the top end you know like steve was talking about you mentioned the icon brand um that um with the uh with the icon brand you're probably talking uh a, you know a 125k or so yeah. now right yeah so, look at the I mean, um it's, uh, 
the Bronco Resto Rods, the International Scout Resto Rods, and then apparently the FDA, they're all about that ballpark. Make your dream come true 60 to 125, depending on how crazy you want to go. But I'm just amazed by these prices, Bob. I know it's worth it, but these are a very bare bones when they came out. You know, a, a Land Cruiser, an original Land Cruiser back then was very cheap. These are not luxury vehicles at all. They're almost agricultural. And yet look at these prices. I Yeah, I mean, it was a military vehicle, right, at the time, right? And I was going to mention, you know, Stefan mentioned the, the original uh, Bronco before the, the really ugly, crappy Bronco 2 that I think Ford sold a lot of, but no one really wanted to drive. But the original Bronco... There's a organization, a company in Atlanta that's doing uh, restorations, frame up restorations on those uh, resto mods. They're going for uh, over two twenty five. I mean, oh, it's just oh it's my incredible. god. Yeah, yeah. And I said to my daughter Lexi, I said uh, because she she really likes how they look and she thinks she might want to get one. And I said that's an insane price. I said they they that they shouldn't be priced that way. And she goes, but Dad, they're selling them. And I said, okay, a good point, right? That means somebody's buying them if they're selling them. So, well, holy um, mackerel, know, insane. Yeah, and and what's happening with the with the um, with the Land Cruisers is it's not just the forty series, right? So I think, Stefan, you've got some other um, you've got some other p- uh, pictures, other photos of some of the other series. It's starting to creep up in those series as well, right? So, um, yeah, Bob, talk you know, about the other series into- because the the Land Cruiser. You know, you evolve or die. The Land Cruiser evolved, and it evolved very successfully. It, it did, um, you know, and I think Toyota. You know, if you look at Toyota and how they evolve body styles and chassis, they're they're very cautious. Uh, they're very careful with um, very slight variations, typically for over a long period of time. Um, so it's hard to tell, you know, one year from another in a lot of their different vehicles. Um, they did the same with the Land Cruiser. They kept different series for a long time they overlapped some of them um so the last picture that stefan showed was a was an uh 60 series fj60 series which became more of a wagon right so they kind of morphed from that jeep kind of a look into more of a an off-road wagon with a taller roof line uh the fj60 was uh was very well received uh it became a family car it was a family adventure car uh still had leafs uh in the rear so it still drove, you know, he had a little bit of that sway in the rear end, but it was very capable off-road. But uh, Japanese suburban, Japanese suburban or um or Grand Wagoneer. It's that niche. Right. A hundred percent, right? But and and I had um I had a good friend of mine uh in Nashville who was a big Grand uh, Wagoneer fan, and I loved his Grand Wagoneer. I loved the wood panels, but he had two of them. He had two of them. He had one that he drove on the road. And he had a second one that was for spare parts so that he could constantly replace the parts, right? So the, the Grand Wagoneer and the Scout were, were notorious for um, breaking and not having spare parts readily available. So uh, so he kept a, a spare vehicle so that he had spare parts for his Grand Wagoneer. But, but you know, Stefan, good point, right? It was the Japanese equivalent of those vehicles, which was the very capable off-road vehicle that also served as kind of the family grocery getter at the time. And that's uh, what the 60 had evolved into. Um, the next picture I think you have is of the 70 series and, um, and, and what um, Toyota decided to do. And, and the 70 series was actually not marketed in the U.S., but they said, we need to go back to more of our off-road routes. So you can tell by the body style, it's a little boxier. A uh, little shorter wheelbase, little looks less like an Isuzu Trooper, than, like a Trooper, yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, it does, doesn't it? But I think it it came out way before the Trooper was uh, was on the market, right? But it was uh, it was built because Toyota exec said, "Hey, we're we're hearing from you know our consumer base that they want to get a little bit further back into our off road routes, like the forty had, and the sixty seemed a little bit more of a mommy mall car." Uh, not that mommy mall cars were a thing at the time, but they they kind of moved back a little bit more to more off road capabilities. So, so Bob, I got a question for you. Is, is, are you. Will you call it the the mall mommy car? Is that is that soccer mom's grandma? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, that's the soccer mom's grandma, right? Okay. Take all the kids, go to the mall, right? Okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, and that's what you'll hear. Uh, you'll hear uh, people that are big off-road enthusiasts when they see a, a, a built-out four by four that looks like it's built to go on the trails and in the woods, and it just goes to the mall. It's a mommy mall car. <laughs> I've never heard that before. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So the so the seventy series was not as long lived. And then uh, the next one you go to, you'll, you're going to see um, is the uh, 80 series, right? So this is a stock photo of an 80 series. Most people don't know the 80 series ran from 91 to 97, <clears throat> probably the most, again, um, if it's if it's built out the right way, this could be the most capable off-road vehicle ever built on the planet. Um, not only my opinion, but others. Uh, um, you could get it with electronic fact of, from the factory electronic lockers on the front rear axle and a center diff locker that that I've seen these things go up 45 degree grades um, on granite. Right. I mean, they're just unbelievable vehicles, but you'll see it starts to get a little bit more rounded. It doesn't have that square body style. That's of the iconic 40 series. Again, super capable. This one went to coil springs all around. Um, it became very popular because uh, the United Nations ordered 5,000 of these from Toyota um, for sub-Saharan Africa. So this thing was designed and overbuilt and over-engineered because the Toyota engineers knew that this thing was going into places where it had to work. It had to run all the time. Um, it has a four, uh, 91 to 94, had a slightly smaller engine. But go ahead, Stefan. So, Toyota really cornered the market they supplied vehicles to the un and the hilux to the taliban i mean they i mean i mean they really they, yeah. they covered it didn't, didn't they i mean both yeah. sides i i i think they did i i'm not sure if toyota supplied uh the belt fed machine guns that sat in the back of the hilux but they they did supply the rest of the vehicle i believe <laughs> so, uh, i've always i've um, always said this, bob and uh, i've said on this show uh worst name ever you know, Hilux means luxury, high luxury. Uh, the Hilux truck is the least luxurious truck ever made. It's kind of a funny name. <laughs> it, it really it really is. But you'll see them dotted. Like you go to Aruba, they're all over the place, right? Left-hand drive Hiluxes that have uh, diesels in them, and they'll literally run until the cockroaches take over the earth. That's how well-built those Hiluxes oh, yeah. are. Um, but, but they And, used, uh, and but I was going to make a comment. A real quick comment on this vehicle. So if you ever have opened the hood of an 80 series Land Cruiser and you look at the engine, you're like, who put a tractor engine in my in my SUV? Because it's literally a 4.5 liter straight six that looks like you took it out of your grandpa's tractor. I mean, that's how it's it's it, it seems like it's about four miles long and a mile wide. And it's just a really, really interesting engine. Uh, had more torque than it had horsepower. Sometimes couldn't get out of its own way, but you could pull your house off your foundation with it. That's how much torque it had. So. Yeah, you know, Bob, the the straight six is only one of two internal combustion engines that has no internal frequency vibration, so you don't have to have counterbalance shaft anywhere in the yep. engines, and that's why a straight six will go millions of miles um, because there is. The, the rotating mass is so much less on it in on a straight six. And that's why I had a I had I had two Lexuses with the straight six. And absolutely I love a straight six motor. It's just it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, I mean super iconic engines, the the BMW straight six and the uh I forget the engine designation, but the one in the Supra. Uh, yeah, that one, that Supra engine from the late nineties was so bulletproof. You could build it up to a thousand horsepower and not worry about it. So straight sixes have, have ruled the world and we've gotten away from them. So, so Steve, what was your question? Yeah, it's a shame we have. So, uh, as it continued to evolve, it became, um, it went to the, the next generation, which was the 100 and then the 200 and the 200 is where it stopped at least temporarily. I thought the 200 didn't make any sense. It was too big. It was a V8, this big monstrosity. It got away from um, what a Land Cruiser was. I thought that the 100 was okay, even though it had a, a V8 also. But so talk about those last two generations before we get to the new one. Yeah, and, and um, I did, um, we don't have any pictures of those. And, and the reason for that, Steve, is, is exactly what you alluded to, right? So 
um, they became very luxurious, very expensive, and kind of lost some of their off-road routes. And uh, most people aren't aware of this, but in the rest of the world, everyone was driving the Toyota Prado. Uh, and the Prado is uh, what most people would call, a lot of people call it a baby land cruiser. Um, a lot of other countries don't have the forerunner, so the Prado fills that niche. And it was a much smaller body. It was much more off-road capable than the 100 and 200 series. And, I, and I've owned a 100 series. I haven't owned a 200 series. I've owned a 100 series. And uh, it, very, very wide body, hard to get through forest trails, things like that. Um, so, um, you know, and, and it started to become out of a lot of folks reach from just a cost perspective. Um, uh, the 80 series was relatively costly when it was new, but it was nothing like the like the 100 and 200 series. And the 200 series almost went out of reach of most folks. Uh, again, back to that mommy mall crawler thing, it really became that thing, right? It was the super ultra luxurious SUV that really kind of competed with like the Escalades of the world, right? Um, and it lost, uh, they lost their way with it. Um, I thought Toyota did from um, a build perspective and they didn't offer one that didn't have all of the luxurious bells and whistles so that the off-road crowd, you know, they just couldn't do it, so. So there's a, that's a 100 series that's been built out a little bit. That's a good looking truck. Um, I had a 2002 in gray, not built out like that. Um, I probably should have sent you all a picture of my 80 series that I used to have. You would have been amazed at it. Steve, I think you saw it. Stefan, I'm not sure if you did. Uh, fully I, built out, armored all the way around. So I, I've seen it. It's uh, it's apocalyptic. So uh, <laughs> anyway, hey, Bob, um, we talked recently uh, about the new Land Cruiser. We like that it's smaller. It's obviously taking a step away from uh, the, the big expensive 200 series. It's like a $100,000 car. This is going to be cheaper, but I think it goes back to its roots. The design certainly goes back to its roots. We'll go ahead and show a picture. We've talked about it. We like it. Adams likes it. What do you think? Yeah, so a couple different things. So this is the uh, this is the, um, uh, the, the new GX. Land Cruiser the in Lexus, Lexus trim, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is the GX 550. Um, so what I think Toyota's done is they really looked at Prado sales, Steve, around the world, and they said, okay, the Prado um, is more to our lineage with Land Cruisers than the actual full Land Cruiser, um, and so they've tried to come up with a hierarchy, at least in the U.S., which is going to be Forerunner, Land Cruiser, Lexus GX 550, which around the world is usually the Prado. There's a few other markets where Lexus badge vehicles are sold, but 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 it's relatively slim. Um, it's it's going back to its roots. Square body. Um, it's got more off-road capability, right? I think that they're seeing what some of the other manufacturers are doing with off-road capabilities. Um, and they're adding those in, right? So they're adding in differential lockers. Now, um, I haven't seen a model uh, where you can get a package with with all three locks on there. Um, those will be added aftermarket, but they have center diff locks and they have rear diff locks. Um, front suspensions don't allow for differential lockers like uh, an old solid axle used to on the uh, on the 80 series, which was the last last series with a solid front axle. Um, but I think they're going back to their lineage. Um, and I think, and you and I talked about this briefly um, over the last few weeks, uh, the biggest issue is going to be, can they make sure they don't cannibalize on the platforms by having the forerunner too close to the Land Cruiser, too close to the GX 550, um, you know they're still going to have, um, uh, you know, a new high-end Lexus model for the luxury folks that want it, but it doesn't fit in the category of the other three. And so, can they provide enough differentiation, both from a feature function perspective and from a price perspective, to make sure that they're not cannibalizing? The market with all three platforms but i think they're heading in the right direction and this is a good looking vehicle um the only the only issue i really have is powertrain there's they're starting to get um um they're starting to water down their powertrains a little bit the lexus gx550 should have the most powerful one it's going to be a twin turbo b6 um 
but but still that's they're losing their v8 lineage a little bit and the folks that want to do really true off-roading you know want to have a heavy powerful powertrain with a really good solid suspension and all kinds of capabilities in different terrain to to manage that terrain and i'm not sure yet if they've thought that all through uh, it may take a model year or two before they do that hey bob i just need to correct the record here you may not have listened to our our podcast where we talked about the new land cruiser and steve-o misspoke when he said i i like this a lot my comments on this thing where it looks like an fj that stayed two weeks too long in the womb and then got pulled out with a low mid forceps delivery and kind of stretched out i'm not <laughs> i i'm like i just i'm just i'm not sure about this design um to me i guess you know i'm not a diehard fan like you are um there's they tr- to me it's 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 very difficult for a company to harken back to the past and do a new retro design some companies have done it well others you know the t-bird was a failure um the bronco was a hit the mustang they've done well with i didn't the new chevy um camaro was i did not like that design i think i don't know this is i just i know this is going to be back to what it does and does right but the design just doesn't hit with me completely it's just it just doesn't hit with me so so stefan uh, some good valid points there i'm gonna make a couple comments so um you're uh, you're right i did not get a chance to watch that podcast but <laughs> that sounds very much like a flight surgeon would say with uh, you know the, the, all just all that mumbo jumbo with the four steps and all that stuff i, I knew that I, without without watching it i knew that would have had to have come from you I, you know i think a lot of these vehicles um the um the overall base design is built in such a way that they know there's going to be a big aftermarket for these and the vehicles will look significantly different based on one packages and then two what people do with it in the aftermarket right and i'll use the example of a base cheap wrangler uh uh, unlimited with little wheels and tires it, it looks like a piece of crap um but as soon as you put off-road steel bumpers and rock sliders on it and a suspension that you know and people call them lifts they're not meant to be lifts they're an off-road suspension which has actually got longer springs and stronger uh, either shocks or struts which inherently lift the vehicle when you do that now you can put a smaller wheel and more rubber and all of a sudden the thing starts to look different right and i would say look at the uh, the base um, smaller Bronco, which to me looks like a piece of crap, and then yeah, look at either point. the Bronco, very the good Bronco, point, Bob. the Bronco, yeah, yeah, the Bigfoot edition or the new uh, the new Raptor Bronco, and you're like, those are two different vehicles, right? So, yeah, I'm so looking at this thing now, this. and I'm kind of envisioning some Mickey Thompson wheels and tires on there, a little plastic cladding around the fenders, and then doing something with that blacked out front grille. And I think you're right. Um, this must be like a very base model, but I, th- I see what you're saying now. Use a little bit of imagination, compare you know the high-end Broncos versus the low-end Bronco. And yeah, you're right. I think if I do that, I can kind of see that I'll probably be okay with designs. I really do like the the I like the front and rear quarter panels. I'm not real big on that um, C post double window on that back door, but that must be homage to the old ones. But are you right now? I kind of look at it and think about changing a few things here it would look way better and you're right the the baseline bronco doesn't look very good no i mean and think of the uh stefan think of the art of the possible when you look at these and think of them more as a platform than as a vehicle itself right and i use the jeep as an example there the aftermarket support for jeeps is incredible uh land cruisers not quite as big but still good It, it it's like uh, you know, Steve had mentioned firearms. There are firearms platforms that are like Legos. The aftermarket support is so incredible that you can make changes to them to make them your own. And I think we're going to see the same thing with the new Land Cruiser. It's going to go back to its roots. It's very squared off. And in its base form, uh, you wouldn't find me driving one. But once the aftermarket, once ARB and some of the other big aftermarket companies catch up, this thing's going to have a, a 200 
pound steel battering ram on the front of it with a winch and it's going to have a you know uh capability of carrying stuff in an aftermarket um, roof rack and you know it's going to have things that'll make it look totally different than what you're seeing in the stock photo so why would a stock photo show why would they pick to choose a base model that's got basically all season tires on it um and it looks more like you know the little suv you're going to drive back and forth to the school and the grocery shop and when this thing has got such a heritage as being a badass off-roader i would have think the initial press releases in my mind should have been a little something tougher than this but me, they're going to sell millions let me say a couple things uh, uh that's a good point um and i really like your point bob about all the changes that are going to be made aftermarket is going to feast on this vehicle just like they feast on the bronco and the wrangler However, most of these will remain completely unmodified, and most of these will never go off-road except, you know, a puddle in the Home Depot. And that's the reality. Uh, one thing we talked about when we talked about it was that I didn't like the square headlights or the rectangular headlights. I did not realize that they had round headlights uh, in the base model. I like the round headlights better. Yeah, so Steve, and you bring up a very good point about these things will they'll go to your local grocery store and they'll go to the mall and they'll ferry soccer kids around. Um, but I'll make one correction to your statement. That'll be for the first buyer. That's for the first buyer. Oh, uh, yeah. The second, the second buyer will turn it into a monster, right? So um, it just depends on, on, on where it is in its life cycle as to what it's going to look like. Oh, that's pretty, I like that. The second owner does it justice. That's right. Yeah. Well, we we certainly uh, all agreed when we talked about this previously, and Bob, I'm sure you'll agree, this vehicle is going to sell. It's going to sell like crazy. It's going to sell way better than the big bloated, uh, expensive, you know, $100,000 Land Cruiser that preceded it. This is going to be transaction price for this car is probably going to be $55,000, $60,000, much more affordable, much more approachable, much more achievable. It's going to sell like crazy. Yeah. So I'll postulate a, a question here that I want you all to think about. So um, <clears throat> if you're going to the store and you have a chance to buy a fully built out brand new 2023 TRD off-road forerunner or the brand new Land Cruiser, and let's say that that one in this, in this scenario is the base model, and it's 52 and the uh forerunner in its in its cladding is 48 what are you going to buy what are you going to buy right um i'm getting the land I, I don't have an answer because i wouldn't get yeah, a forerunner. and i, I hate have the forerunner yeah. yeah, so, so the uh, forerunner this is very yeah. well documented the band doesn't, is, he doesn't like it he doesn't a, like it <laughs> not, a, not a huge fan of no. the f f and runner as he calls it f and runner uh, man i don't like it for me bob it's absolutely the forerunner yeah so so again you know if you buy the you buy the new land cruiser you got the heritage you got the new body style um in order to make it look like it has the beefy capabilities of the forerunner and i'm talking high-end trim um you're gonna have to spend another 10 to 15 grand to Ooh. put all that aftermarket things on it, right? So, it, you know, the question is put, you know, put yourself in the shoes of a buyer who doesn't have quite as much of an opinion, but they're looking for something that is a midsize SUV with a lot of off-road capabilities and some good comfort, right? Um, I've I've owned multiple Forerunners. Uh, um, is it my favorite vehicle on the planet? No, I'm a Land Cruiser guy, um, but the Forerunner has its niche. And uh, like we talked about before, I think that the high-end Forerunner is going to be getting very, very close to the low-end Land Cruiser and give you capabilities where you're not going to have to spend additional money to um, add to the Land Cruiser to make it as capable as an off-road TRD Forerunner, right? So I, I, I go back to that thing about has Toyota put these too close to each other so that you're starting to cannibalize your potential buyer um, because of those issues. And, and again, I don't know the answer and time will tell on that one, 
but I think it's something that maybe they didn't think through as much as they could have. All right. Well, I think it's time to wrap up, Steve-O. Um, I'm, you know, for, thanks for coming on the show, Bob. It was great having you. Um, I do want to give a pitch to our website, carsoncallpodcast.com. Steve-O was whining that he wasn't having any press cars to drive, so he wrote an article on his Substack, What to Buy. I just uploaded that today. He talks which BEV to buy. He talks about the sports cars he likes. And fortunately for his our friendship, he did mention the Ford Mustang. Um, he goes, talks about crossovers, family trucksters, full-size luxury SUVs, and it's on our website. So you can get Steve-O's picks in those categories. Um, like, listen, subscribe, tell your friends. And Steve, I'll let you close out with a thanks to our guest. Uh, thank you very much. We've been very fortunate to have Joe Bazetta, Katie Gaddy, and now Bob Rupel. And this has been a pleasure, a joy for uh, uh, us. And I know it will be for our listeners too. So Bob, thank you very much. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Have a great night.